Welcome to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Archibald from Western University. As you know, many speech language pathologists in Canada are employed in schools. Their job is to support children with communication disabilities in accessing the curriculum and achieving their academic and personal potential. It's a challenging job. So many schools, so many students, and not many SLPs. Across the country, SLPs are finding unique solutions to providing the best possible services to the students and school teams with whom they work. In this podcast, our guests describe their innovations in school-based speech-language pathology. Thanks for listening as we shine a light on some brilliant projects. Welcome to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast today, and I'm so pleased to have my guest Jillian with me today. Jillian, would you briefly just introduce yourself and describe your service delivery model where you work? Sure. My name is Jillian Gordon, and I'm a speech-language pathologist in a growing district in the lower mainland of British Columbia. So we're in Chilliwack, BC. It's one of the only districts that are growing. So they've just built new schools here. And of course, our caseloads are growing anyways. But um, with the influx of new students and families to the area, that will only increase. Yeah, yeah. I work in a team with six other speech language pathologists, and we're also very fortunate to have speech language assistants with us as well. Um, And we also have one AAC specialist teacher um, with whom we work really closely. It's a great team. Very nice. And how would you describe your service delivery model overall, Jillian? So our services range from um, the kindergarten age. We have a universal screening process that we do for some early identification of those kids coming into um, kindergarten, which has been really um, helpful even um, during COVID because a lot of our services for the younger kids were compromised during that time or there's positions that are unfilled. So um, we already have an idea um, in September of who the kids coming in and what their needs are. And then we follow kids. We have elementary schools that go up to grade five now. And so we follow them throughout that journey. Our AAC specialist teacher um, does all grades, works closely with students from K to 12. And occasionally she'll bring us in for one of her students or occasionally we'll get a referral from a middle or a high school student um, when there's when there's a team around a student that um, can give them the follow up that we recommend. But Mm -hmm. we mostly we mostly focused on the elementary school. And uh, does that involve consultation and uh, direct services? What would be the range of services there? Well, that's a great question, Lisa, because as um, our caseloads get bigger and bigger, we tend to do more consultation. Um, We've done a lot of work in our district around educating people that SLP services are not only one-on-one direct therapy services. Um, Recently, well, not recently, sorry, a few years ago, the RTI model was introduced into our district, and we really embraced that as a department. Um, So now when I make recommendations on my report, I'll give tier one recommendations, tier two recommendations, and tier three recommendations. 
Um, and that's really helpful to kind of share the responsibility and even showing that even putting together a home program or even by giving strategies to a classroom teacher or parent, that that is meaningful service as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so to answer your question, um, the speech language assistants do a lot of their our direct therapy for us, but because that's a favorite part of the job, we like to be able to do that too. So around this time of year, we're kind of finishing off our assessments and our consultation, and we're starting to bring on a few therapy kids. Um, nice. Yeah, it is Thank nice. You. Yes. Can you, just so our listeners get a sense, can you tell me uh, how many schools a, a, a full-time sure. speech pathologist might have in your board? Yeah, so there's 21 schools in our district this year, and there are seven of us, which works out to about three schools. Mm-hmm. I would say we each carry a caseload of approximately 150 students. And then how many assistants would, would be working with you? So we have four in our district. And what happens is each one is allocated each term to one school. Mm. So by the end of the year, um, an SLA, sorry, each school has had an SLA block or a term where they go in twice a week and deliver that more intensive therapy. Yeah, they're worth their weight in gold, those SLAs. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, lots of interesting things. I already thought of a couple more topics for podcasts. Maybe (laughs) we'll have to have you back, Gillian. But um, so I think that gives us a nice picture uh, of uh, where you're at and where and and what your working environment is, is looking like. So we're here to talk about um, a particular initiative that you started. Can you tell me about some of the major challenges that you noticed uh, and that, uh, you know, kind of spurred along uh, the project that you'll be speaking about today? So when RTI came in, like I said, we really embraced that, but we didn't have programming to address all the kids on our caseload. Um, That that a school could do in a small group setting or that an EA could easily do. Certainly we had lots of good programs, but I found in the realm of language processing, um, that was harder to kind of uh, share the responsibility with schools. So then I had um, boys, my own sons in the district they brought home something that was newly developed at the time called the SNAP. And the SNAP is a way that the district has adopted. It was developed here um, to look at numeracy skills. So if you can picture roughly a rectangle or an oval with SNAP, they would have a number in the middle And then they taught the students to talk about or think about numbers in different ways. So they would draw the number, they would plot the number on a um, number line, they would write a story problem about a number. But I felt that it was such a great way for that deeper knowledge. And, And I thought this could work for language as well. So I got the idea to play around with um, a prototype that, you know, SNAP had done a lot of groundwork, um, but I took that and made it so there was a word in the middle instead of a number. Mm -hmm. 
Nice. And um, so, so tell us more about uh, what, uh, what that came to look like that rectangle, that circle or with the word in the middle. Right. So again, SNAP had a lot of um, time invested in their project. So it came to be that every classroom had a whiteboard with the SNAP template on it. So originally, back in the very beginning, I took one of their boards and actually like taped over (laughs) um, my own uh, and made my own headings for each of the um, segmented areas in the oval. And I remember taking pictures of it and, and playing around with it and thinking, this really has legs. Like, I believe in this project Instead of a number line along the bottom, I had a space to write a sentence. Um, They had skip counting down the sides and I did some phonological awareness activities. So when I had a learning review or a personal goal session at some point with my manager, I was ready to take it to him. And he was really impressed by it and really happy that it was a simple, um, familiar sort of layout that um, could piggyback on the work that had previously done been done by SNAP. Connecting with background knowledge, right? <laughs> we know how yes. important that is, yes. Yeah. So- um, I really like what you're describing there because, uh, you know, uh, is it a vocabulary tool? Is it a language tool? Tell, you know, d- tell me about all the, the ways that you, you know, you talked about phonology. Tell me about the ways that you tried to make it sort of as big as possible in terms of language. I, and those are my words, not yours, of course. Sure. So originally I started um, asking classroom teachers if they would like me to come into their classes And it got to the point where then the school district ordered two boards per classroom for, sorry, two boards per school for the district. And then teachers wanted to um, order their own. So the board essentially, or the paper version, um, it has a circle in the middle for a word. And we have found that the best words are simple, um, like object vocabulary words. And even though a word like fish or snowflake or um, liquid, if you're doing science or lever, um, it sounds very simple. It takes it into a very rich, rich discussion with a lot of connectivity. So the first um, segment is drawing a picture and I'll ask the kids, you know, give me the features of this object that we can draw. And then we all agree on it. Um, Actually, the more I am learning about the importance of gesture with some of these kids too, I'm actually getting them to um, make the object in their hands Mm -hmm. or visualize it because that's powerful. It's not actually on the board, but it is powerful. Then we go into the function of the object. So what does it do or what do you do with it? And then you're getting at some verb vocabulary, but you're already forming neurological connections between words. So um, you're getting that richness already. Um, Then what goes together with this object? So then you have an association 
and you can see your neural network is, is growing. What group does it belong to? And often, you know, kids will have different ideas for this and, and teachers can get stuck on some of these things. And I always say, trust your brain. You have a neurologically intact um, brain. You, you have an education. Your first instinct about what goes together with it or what category it belongs to is going to be um, correct because that's how we actually make meaning and share it. Um, so then I say name two more things in this group. So putting items um, that belong to the same category. Then another segment is how are um, our word and another object the same and how are they different? And then the final box is what three words can you use to describe this? So often um, teachers will use this and I use it to show how we can make a rich sentence now. Like I said, there's a, a rectangle at the bottom that says use your word in a sentence. And we can do some punctuation with that. What do we need an upper class um, or sorry, an uppercase letter to start in a period, and do we need a comma? But they can often come up like, how can we make this sentence richer? They have three describing words right there. They have their category there. They have um, a bit about same and different. So on the older grades, they actually could do a bit of a paragraph. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then down the sides, like I said, there are um, two columns and one is what is a, um, what are words that sound with the same sound as our letter. And again, not the same letter as our word, sorry, not the same beginning letter, but beginning sound. And then we talk about how, you know, um, even though um, a word starts with PH, for example, we're listening to the sound and then words that rhyme down the other mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. And often the words are multisyllabic and difficult to rhyme. So I will just take um, one syllable. But yeah. the beautiful part of those side ones is that everyone can participate. You see the hands go up even with the kids that um, might not have had a lot of confidence to contribute to the activity. This is where we get um, everyone participating. Yeah, yeah. I really like um, how rich that is. And I can imagine the the sort of rich discussions that uh, that, that stimulates. I'm interested in um, your comment that you were describing earlier, you know, what, what group does it belong to and, and sort of trusting your own brain um, and wondering, you know, what's happening there? Because that seems so if one person thinks, oh, this is part of this group, and someone else thinks it's part of a different group or questions themselves, um, that adds richness, one one would think. It does. You're right. Um, and say you had a food there and some people eat that for breakfast or some people in their culture eat that on a special holiday. Um, yeah, there's different kind of salmon, for example. Yes, you can draw in um, 
people's own understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. It's, there's not a right or wrong, I would say. Yeah. It's just bringing um, a rich discussion. It's facilitating a rich discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and really getting at those multiple meanings. Yes. Yeah. Is it a vocabulary task? Is it a vocabulary tool then? Is that, is that what it is? Is that how you would describe <laughs> it, Jillian? We like to call it a word analysis. So I think the biggest um, way that teachers can latch onto it is as a vocabulary tool. Mm-hmm. But for SLPs, we know language processing. I don't care if you call it semantics. I don't care if you call it meaning. I don't care if you call it language content. Mm-hmm. It's all kind of getting to the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yes. So tell me a bit more about um, how you decide what words to put in the middle. Yeah, so when I've done it in classrooms, I will ask the teacher, is there something that you've been discussing lately as a class? And there I've done friend and we've gone through kind of different types of friends. Um, Nowadays, kids have a lot of online friends and Mm -hmm. it jumps into a discussion about what the different friends look like. Um, we've done, like I might have mentioned Beaver after they'd done a unit and the teacher was like, wow, you guys have really learned a lot because it just crystallized their knowledge and it was a good way for them to wrap up their session. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of science ones with liquid, solid or gas in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the beauty of this too, is in kindergarten, we'll do something like blossom um, in the springtime, very simple. But then in a grade five or six class, I'll go in and do a more complex science word or landforms I've done too, like we've done mountain um, or peninsula. So it really lends itself to all grade levels. um, And it lends itself to a lot of different subject matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about the classroom connection there uh, in just a second, but I'm kind of come back to um, words you suggested earlier that some words might not work as well as other words. Uh, you said that uh, you thought simple object-based kinds of things. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Um, yes. I find that the way that we store objects in the brain, this works well for that. And mm. we do hit on describing words. We do hit on function words, which are verbs. So by starting with a noun, um, I think it allows us to branch out to other types of words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so those other more abstract words come in all around yes. those those objects. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. In terms of tier one and tier two vocabulary types of words, are all of those working there? Is it a focus on tier one? I'm not sure there. That's a good question. I think you could try a tier two word. I really think you could. We've also um, found recently that it works really well with characters in novels. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you're getting into words like villains or um, similarities and differences for a protagonist, for example, and the Mm anti-hero. Yeah, words to describe them. So we've taken it there. 
Um, but right now, when we suggest to other people, we say, keep it a simple noun and yeah. go from there. Yeah. yeah For the sure. most success, we don't want people to get in the middle of it and think, oh my goodness, I don't know where to go, or I don't know how to do this. Yeah. So our suggestion is to keep it quite simple. Yes. Yes. You uh, described, you know, do you want me to come into the classroom is what uh, you might say to a teacher. Um, and is this, you know, is is this tool what you're using is, you know, uh, to do that? What's that look like? Yeah, so I'll come into the classroom with a whiteboard that I have or one that the school has. And again, the teacher has given me a word, like I've done moss, for example, and then um, either to introduce and find out what their previous knowledge is. Often the teachers are surprised. Okay, some people know about this already, and it, it gives a starting point, I guess, of previous knowledge. And kids like to hear things from other kids too, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of a teacher telling them all about moss, you know, we might have a moss expert in the group, and they have a lot to share. And that's mm -hmm. great for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so typically, it'll take probably a half an hour to go through. Um, and by the end, yeah, to go through one word there, Jillian. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, that attests to the richness of the discussion. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, I have them do a sentence. And it, depending on the age, I'll talk about could that be a topic sentence for a paragraph, but it's a kicking off point mm -hmm. for the teachers. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I'll, be, I'll leave the board there or take a picture and send it to the teacher. And so this is um, something that uh, is added to what's going on in the curriculum. Right. Yeah. Did you, uh, and was that, you know, back to that, you know, challenges or, or things that you were responding to in need is that, did you see that as a need in the classroom? Um, I did. Mm -hmm. And, and often teachers will say, this is what I need in here. This is what I've been looking for. This is such useful information for me. Um, the feedback has been really great. I yeah. encourage teachers, even when they're reading, um, reading aloud to their kids to stop at a word and do some explore exploration, because we know that um, when we're learning new vocabulary, that the richness and the experience and the real life application is really crucial for mm -hmm. them to make it their own. That's what I say. I want this word. I want them to make it their own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, I mean, it, it kind of operationalizes that sort of pre-teaching of vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I really like the idea that it, it encourages that time spent on a word, right? The, mm -hmm. I think sometimes pre-teaching vocabulary is, do you know this word, this word, and this word, right? Yeah. Um, whereas this is really getting at that depth. Yeah, and it goes beyond just the word itself, I think. It introduces different concepts that and different kind of things. When we think of a word, there the definition is broader than just saying like a lever is a simple machine. Or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We use levers to lift things, right? Yes. Yes. So you described um, you know, just your teacher stopping and I think maybe just grabbing a, you know, your, your visual and sort of working on a word that's coming up just as it happens. 
That's the idea. I think some of them like me to come in and show how that works first. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a lot of training around SNAP and a lot of time was spent on it. So the elegance of SNAP, they understand, but I think it still can be intimidating. But the beauty of this is that it's very simple. Um, it's not complicated and it kind of is self-explanatory. So I just encourage people to jump in and give it a try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Is that what you, uh, uh, you've done that? Like within a story, you might stop and jump right in. Could you talk a bit about that? That's right. So we all come across you know, a word in a story for older kids, it might be crystal or for younger kids, it might be like salmon, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Then we can stop and really have a rich discussion, either taking in what's already been mentioned in the book or setting up the book for a richer um, understanding and a deeper understanding of that. Mm -hmm. And it, it really when we're reading books with kids, we want them to make connections with their life. And it gives them a sense of I understand the characters reasons for doing things. Um, I understand their decision making. I understand how they're feeling. The stronger the link, the richer the book. So this gives an opportunity um, for kids to do that for themselves. Yes, yes. And so have you then seen educators start using it? Yeah, so what I've encouraged some to do is just do one box at a time. So pick a few words and just do the picture, for example, and then move on to the function, the what does it do part. So it's not too overwhelming for them or the kids. Mm -hmm. So they can just black the other um papers out a lot of people use a smart board or what we used to call an overhead projector (laughs) Um, with the paper so that's easy to do to introduce it um, in a less intimidating way and then maybe another day uh, go on to the next section or something like that yeah because it can be overwhelming if you just look at a blank page um, but by breaking it down into smaller sections Some of the things, too, aren't necessarily developmentally appropriate in kindergarten to talk about similarities and differences Mm. quite yet. Mm -hmm. So that's going to need more support from a teacher, whereas um, an older student could do it on their their own as a as a written activity Mm -hmm. and give the teacher some idea of what they know about a topic. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. Um, And so how are you seeing it used by teachers then uh, in uh, across their day or across their curriculum? Well, it's really nice because some of the SLPs are going into kindergarten classrooms in the fall and just getting to know those kids. So and, you know, they're a friendly person in the school and they're building relationships So they'll do a story maybe and pick a word and go in and give kind of tier one service really early in the year, Mm. which is really nice. Mm -hmm. And then the teachers say they get the confidence and then they continue on during the year. We also see EAs doing it with some of our students that have one-on-one time. 
um, we can say, well, we often put together programming for EAs, and this can be a really nice part of that. We often see EAs in the hallway and detached from their classroom. So this is a nice way that they can bring something from the classroom and make that bridge. Yes, absolutely. Yes. You have that, again, that familiarity um, yeah. and, and knowing the routine. Right. And they'll, they'll have a deeper understanding and maybe some, some more words to be able to follow and contribute when they get back into the classroom environment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And have there been times when you see the children themselves using it or the being familiar with it or being ready, you know, at a good readiness stage for working with that tool? Um, I think it's early days still. And I, We'll be presenting at a professional day here in a couple of weeks. So it's been a year of getting the word out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I presented to our executive team last June, and they believed in it enough to get a website going. So I've been working with that. And the behind the scenes, I can finally just say, like, it is ready to roll out mm-hmm. properly. So we've been doing it slowly as SLPs for a long time, but I'm really excited to see where it can go. Yes. District. Yes, yes, yes. That's that's very exciting. I want to ask you more about the rollout in just a second. Um, So tell me about how your team then started, because you had the idea at the beginning and then how did it become part of what your team was doing? Well, I started this years ago. I remember bringing the idea to the table and SNAP was quite new at the time and was getting a lot of attention and buy-in from teachers. So um, they were always right alongside me. They have helped every step of the way and I have a lot of gratitude for their support. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think... There came a time when um, everyone just started really believing in it and seeing that this is a really useful, good tool. So they've been writing recommendations in reports and attaching templates to reports just to get the word out there. Our SLAs have trialed it with their students, and it's often part of the therapy that they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then SLPs are asked to do it in the classroom um, quite often, actually. Right. It's, it's right. nice. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So tell me about um, the rollout then. Tell me what, uh, what, what does it look like on your website? What, what is the piece of it there? So the website has the templates, obviously, we've got it translated into French, because we have French immersion programs in this district. Um, And we have a couple of different rubrics. So to help teachers um, kind of assess and know what they can get from this. We have a rubric for whether you're doing with a group and a rubric of whether it's an individual activity. Can you speak... Can you speak more about those, Jillian? What are the rubrics doing? So the rubric offers a way to record the skills that the students are using and applying when they go through an activity like this. So one of the rubrics, for example, will have um, 
will be about a group setting. So we're doing this as a whole class activity or a small group. And some of the skills are honestly just joint attention, um, raising their hand, waiting, a, waiting for a turn. Um, you know, participation is part of it, but there's a lot of receptive kind of skills that we look mm. at and social skills as well. And then the in, there's an individual one that's often used with higher grades where, where it's really like, can you generate two more members of a category? Mm, mm. Can you generate a function with an action word? Mm -hmm, Those mm -hmm. types of more specific skills. Yeah. So the group level one is um, going to be for how the whole group's responding? And the individual one is about individual or they both get some individual? Um, the group one is for an individual in a group I setting. See. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. So if we have kind of eyes on one or two students, we can speak to that, I guess. Right. It's just a way to formalize our observations mm -hmm. and their learning, which I think mm -hmm. is important. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Get some data. Also on the website, there's examples from different age levels and different topics. Um, there is a page on just how to go about trying it, an explanation and examples with each box, a bit of history, a bit of why it's important. Why do we care in the first place? Why, why are we making this time to learn about words? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. often that is um, a huge part of our education. This is an oral language activity, or it can be. It doesn't have to be a paper and pen activity. Mm -hmm. And I think as teachers, we're really sometimes stumped at what constitutes a true oral language activity mm -hmm. and why mm -hmm. is it important. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I think um, coming back to those observations that teachers might be making about, well, I mm -hmm. haven't heard these ideas, right? We haven't, uh, you know, I, I'm surprised at what they know, right? It you know, can be right. a way of really revealing their knowledge. Yes, and it also can say, oh, we need to do some more work about around describing words, for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that is an area where as a class, um, they might have some weakness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, so we can put that website link, I think, uh, right yes. on our show notes, uh, so yes. people can go and have a look at the tool. You've made it. You made it broadly available, I think. Yes. Yep. Yeah. You can um, take the templates and use them as your own. Mm -hmm. And what have you called it? Not not Snap. I don't think. Um, SNAP is the numeracy, so ours is student word analysis and practice. Yeah. And the idea was that you could just swap out SNAP for um, like a language and literacy version. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Yeah. Yes. And so when was the, the website set up? Have you had people on it and responding to it? In September. And there's actually other districts um, interested in British Columbia. We had a student do her final placement last year, and she's now on the island. And she shared it with her district. Mm -hmm. And 
I just feel that now that the website is available, that it's easier to spread the word. Mm -hmm. So that was early October that that was ready. Yes, very Mm -hmm. exciting. Mm -hmm. I hope to present at the BC Speech and Hearing Conference in in October, actually. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, and so, you know, when you when what's the dream here? Where where what where it would be how you would see this project growing, perhaps? I think the dream is is that everyone in the district is as familiar with swap and its value and comfortable using it as they are with SNAP. Mm-hmm. Um, that that teachers feel like they know where their swap board is in the school and they know how to use it and and when to use it. And it becomes kind of a tool that they gravitate towards. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Nice. I'm going to bring you just, you know, we are wrapping up, but Deb's going to bring you sure. back to, you know, one more question that I wanted to ask about your rubrics. You know, that's kind of uh, mm-hmm. intrigued me, that idea, because mm-hmm. what I am thinking there is that um, sometimes you're in a group, maybe you as the, as the speech language pathologist uh, doing this activity with a group, but it's still giving you information about some particular child that you've got your eye on, perhaps. Can you tell mm-hmm. me a bit about how, you know, how that works? Well, when we see students um, and they're on our caseload, we always have goals for them. And the goals, it's very important to make them appropriate for them developmentally. So by seeing where they're at in a group setting, for example, can inform us um, what's the next step for this student. And it might not be the next step for the same next step as for the rest of the class. Um, but it gives us um, feedback on how they're doing for their current goal mm-hmm. and then what is a good next step for them. Mm-hmm. And so as you were noticing that, then you've been able to, to to sort of operationalize or describe that in your rubric so others can be guided around the same kinds of observations. Right. Yeah. So if an EA, for example, or a teacher is taking data and says, okay, they can come up with um, some category names now, then we're going to up the ante a little bit and say, okay, let's work on this, even if it's individually, um, and give them some practice at the next step, which would be adding things mm-hmm. to a group. Yeah, really. Yeah. Nice. Do you consider that it informs your own assessment? Yes, usually um, this is done kind of after an assessment Mm -hmm. as a tool where we have identified some weakness. Um, But as we don't have time to assess four times um, throughout the year, right? right? Mm -hmm. So we can, um, it informs, I guess, our decisions more than any formal assessment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It gives us feedback so that we can make timely recommendations. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess it it gives you a bit of a progress monitoring tool, yes, perhaps. Uh, exactly. And, and lets you sort of shape uh, how your expectations even right. for a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to monitor progress as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really nice. Thank you so much, Jillian, for telling me um, about uh, this work. If you had, if you could give somebody a piece of advice on how to get started on implementing a program like this, what what would be that that first piece of advice you'd give them? 
I think believing it in your in it yourself is the most important thing. And the progress with this project was slow. Like we're talking years. I did it off the side of my desk and made lists and tried to kind of <laughs> advertise and spread the words, but just sticking with it, it gained momentum and um, the right people supported me with it and came on board. So yeah, I think just having patience, it's, these things aren't, nothing's quick <laughs> in this day and age. Yes. So even in it. this day and age, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jillian, uh, that's great advice. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think that that's really, really important advice for, for folks, for sure. Um, all right. Let's finish off with, you know, what's your, what's your top tip on being a school-based SLP and, uh, and doing it well? Oh, goodness. Well, organization is the name of the game, of (laughs) course, and, um, you know, finding your people. But the number one tip I would say is to remember your value outside of just um, one-on-one therapy, Mm -hmm. because we do enjoy that. It is important, but there are lots and lots of other things that are valuable that we can be... um, teaching to other adults to support their students um, that have value too. Very nice. We can't, we can't see everybody, um, but there are a lot of other things out there that we can still give good service. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Thank you very much, Jillian, for uh, your time today and for telling us about the, the swap. Uh, oh, Lisa, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for listening to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. You can find all podcasts, transcripts, and links to the episode resources on the SAC website. That's at sac-oac.ca. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or you'd like to suggest a guest, please email the host Lisa Archibald at larchiba at uwo.ca. That's L-A-R-C-H-I-B-A at uwo.ca. You can listen to our podcast on all of the major podcast servers. If you liked this episode, be sure to give it a thumbs up on your platform and share it through your social media and other channels.